really lovely to be here. And I know that's a conventional thing to say, but I mean it. I've felt enormously the warmth of the welcome since I arrived yesterday from, from Bishop Mal, from uh, Father Jerry and the Jesuit team here, from, from Pat, uh, and indeed last night at St. Patrick's uh, as well. Wonderful hospitality. So thank you. I was here in, in January in Belfast. I was privileged to be part of the Four Corners Festival. Uh, and spoke also at St. Bridget's. And so it's just lovely to, to see uh, these friends, friends, new friends, as well as old friends, including some who have interviewed me in the past, uh, were assembled here. So thank you for inviting me. And what a wonderful uh, thing this is. And if I can use um, Father Leonard's horticultural analogy of the seedling, uh, consider me as the one who's just supplying a bit of the mulch as, they, as the seedling emerges. Um, but I know that it's going to be all of you who nurture this plant that's been, uh, that's been seeded here and in this place with this magnificent new university vibe. It all feels like a moment of hope, so it's just a privilege to be a part of it. Now, my contribution this afternoon, and this is uh, when Jerry and I first discussed this, um, I said, you know, how can I help? How can, how can Pope Francis's thinking help? Uh, we had a very interesting discussion uh, about the, what Father Leonard has called the synodal approach. So, if this place, this centre, uh, the Society of Jesus in Belfast, what it stands for, what it represents, what it offers in terms of a space, uh, it has to do, has it not, with the theme of reconciliation and opening up to new horizons. And of course, this is uh, bang on what Pope Francis offers us. So, I'm going to talk to you in a way about the intellectual, if I can put it that way, intellectual and spiritual heart of synodality. Synodality, a word that we're all now using. Um, and it can mean so many different things to different people. And what I want to suggest uh, to you this afternoon is that at least in Pope Francis's vision of synodality, there is an understanding of how uh, disagreement and difference can be brought into fruitful combination. And the, his thinking on this, uh, I consider to be part of his genius. When I first stumbled across, when I was doing the first book, The Great Reformer, I stumbled across uh, his thesis, which in fact he never published, although it was finished to such a degree in his 50s that he was able to give it to somebody else uh, uh, to finish. You know, it was almost finished. Uh, and his thinking and his thesis was on Romano Guadini, an early book, perhaps the first book I think Guardini ever published, which was, had the simple title of, uh, well in Spanish it's El Contraste, uh, so contrast, uh, the idea of contraposition. So having stumbled across this when I was doing the research for the book and understanding something of that vision as I explored it, um, I was then uh, very excited to see it, kind of, uh, because he said, I never finished the thesis, but it's been of great use to me. He said that on a number of occasions. To understand how, in fact, in this synodal vision, he is implementing these core insights. Now, Francis being Francis is very keen, not as Pope, to impose a particular theology or intellectual tradition. He, uh, he, he understands the papacy as if you like, giving expression to the faith of the whole church rather than a particular, so he's, a particular uh, way of thinking. So he's been, if you like, shy about exploring this as it were as Pope. So when we came to do uh, Ether Stream, which is a book that uh, has just been mentioned and uh, which I've been told to say is on sale outside, 
uh, as very cost. Um, but no, do read it if you have a look. So this book came out in December 2020, and even though it says uh, on the inside, in conversation with Austin Ivory, otherwise you won't see me in the book at all, uh, it's got Pope Francis on the cover, and inside there's no Q&A, it's just the Pope speaking. And that's very important, by the way, because this is the first book, uh, I, think I'm, I think I can say this with certainty, it's the first book by a Pope addressed to humanity in the time of crisis, specifically in the pandemic, uh, which, in which, as it were, a collaborator has helped him actually to write the book. Uh, and that was my role in this, my great privilege was to, so I asked him questions, he gave me answers. This was all during lockdown, so I sent him questions by email. He recorded his reflections onto his private secretary's iPhone, who sent them to me as audio files, they were transcribed. I worked them into a text, he, I sent him the text, he worked on it. That's kind of roughly how it worked. But I had some freedom, because he said to me when he agreed to this, he said, I'm going to need a bit of help from you. So I said, look, how, how about we do it like this? So I suggested the basic structure. But I said to him, Father, you know, the thing that I would really love you to, ex to explain and explore is this, is your thesis, is your deep thinking about Wadini. Uh, and so we do that in the book. And uh, I think it's the best explanation he's given uh, of that. But in many ways, it's also what he offers in Better Stream is a reflection on some really important paragraphs in Evangelii Gaudium, specifically 226 to 230. Uh, and those paragraphs are part of, you know, his famous four principles. Uh, and specifically, these are on unity and conflict. Okay. So what I want to just invite you to do you know, at some point <laughs> after today is perhaps put <coughs> those things up. Let us read uh, pages 54 to 57, 76 to 81, around there, as a kind of commentary on the Evangelii Gaudium 226 to 230. And I can see some of you thinking, we didn't come here to be in the homework. <laughs> but I, I, I think you'll find it very fruitful. And perhaps to suggest that these paragraphs in Evangelii Gaudium and in Less Stream could possibly provide something, if you like, an intellectual, spiritual charter for the, for the Belfast Jesuit Centre as a way of uh, as a way of approaching and containing, providing a space for all the differences and contrasts and conflicts that belong to this place, this region, this history, uh, and the incredible fruitfulness that is on offer when we bring these together. Because there is no conflict from which the Holy Spirit does not bring forth great fruit if we allow it. So, where does this, first of all, I go run, run right back, uh, not quite as far back as. We did this morning to the, was it, the 18th century, but to Pope Francis's childhood, because I asked him once, well, where, where does all this come from, this passion for reconciliation and reconciling opposites? And he surprised me with his answer. He told me about his mother's family in Buenos Aires. He had very, he brought up a very happy family on his grandparents' side, his paternal grandparents. But his mother's uh, family were rowdy Genoese immigrants who apparently constantly having these very, very vicious rows where plenty fly, I think, literally. And the young Jorge Manuel Bellocchio, you know, we're talking here about age 11 and 12, was deeply traumatized by these, by these rows. And it left him, he told me, and he hasn't just said this me, with this desire, this passion for being able to, to reconcile opposites, for dialogue and reconciliation, which has become essentially his life's work. And I think it's his great work as Pope now expressed the bubble in synodality. But before he became Pope, 
so much of his life, his work as provincial uh, and as priest, and then of course as bishop and cardinal, has been in, in this area. So um, this is the, this is the, in a way, the soul of Francis, the heart of Francis. It's a commitment to discernment through dialogue. It's a fascination also with how the Holy Spirit takes a body, an apostolic body, or indeed a nation or a society, um, and can take those differences which so often we treat as contradictions, as conflict, and make of them something new. The Latin phrase is kind of complexio oppositorum, so that how does Holy Spirit takes difference and becomes the agent and creates something uh, new out of it. And this, this commitment to a culture of encounter or fraternity, of course, is vividly laid out in Fratelli Tutti, above all, in which he starts visiting with this complex, dark clouds over a closed world, in which we have the breakdown of multilateralism, we have the rise of populism, we have a new kind of politics driven by polarization. We're all now increasingly in our bubble. Social media you know, is causing us to, to retreat ever more into our tribal. This is the background, the depressing background against which we have this papacy, which is beautiful, this extraordinary gift of these insights. I'm going to give you three key points about his insights into this. The first is this, and it's a development of what he calls in Evangelii one of the four principles, reality is greater than ideas. Another way of, in which he has expressed this is with a nice little gnomic phrase, ideas are discussed, but situations are discerned. In other words, if you want to find the Holy Spirit, if you want to see where God is at work, you have to go to reality rather than to ideas. And here's another way of putting it, which he, as he says it in Letters Dream. And when he said this, by the way, I was really startled by this, and I spent days thinking about it. And it's this. What I've learned from Romano Guardini, he said, is that in creation there is no contradiction. In creation there is no contradiction. Now, here's me on my farm thinking about this, and he's right. In creation, there is life, there is death, there is different seasons, there are all kinds of tensions, animals chasing each other, eating each other. But everything has its place. Nothing is ultimately in opposition to anything else. And that the tensions that exist in nature and in creation are essentially degenerative, they are life-giving. So when we enter into the realm of contradiction and conflict, we are dealing with, if you like, a human abstraction. So that where contrapositions, as you would call them, generate polarization, what is happening is that we are withdrawing from or shrinking from reality as it is. Okay? Now I say, you know, feel free to sort of spend a few days thinking about this, I know I did. And when I thought about it, I thought, that, and this is actually a very, very profound insight. Now, look at Evangelii Gaudium, it's, I think it's 261. If, 226. If we remain trapped in conflict, we lose our perspective, our horizons shrink, and reality itself begins to fall apart. In the midst of conflict, we lose our sense of the profound unity of reality. So the unity, so the reality is always an invitation to unity. And when we are entering into disunity and into polarization, we are, if you like, creating a world which is an abstraction. It's not the world that God created. So the invitation, therefore, is always to go back to and find the unity that exists in creation and in reality. So when we withdraw from that, 
we are falling into what he so often called ideology or rigidity, whatever you want to call it. It's the illusion that we possess the truth. Whereas, in fact, the truth, and I'm quoting here from Letter Stream, we do not possess the truth so much as the truth comes to possess us, constantly attracting us by means of beauty and goodness. So the three transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness, is how we access truth. But this idea that, in fact, truth is always outside us, and we, it's constantly inviting us to enter into it. It's a very different idea from, I have the truth, I possess it, and I must defend it. Uh, from, the, from those people who do not have it. Or I use the fact that I possess this truth as a stick with which to be done. So in this thinking, we remain deeply rooted in the church's tradition. We remain rooted, of course, in, in, in everything that we've inherited and we know and we've come being taught and we understand. But we're always humbly open to the new things that the Spirit wants to bring us, as Father Leonard was quoting. And this he calls, again, quoting uh, Guarnini, Spanish, and pensamiento incompleto, unfinished thinking. In other words, we think, we think, we think, but we should always leave a gap at the end. We should leave space at the end of our thinking for the new thing to come in from the outside. So this calls for, and this is very relevant to synodality now, it calls for an attitude, a mindset, an approach, uh, a, 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 a modus vivendi and cogitandi, if you like. Of what? Of humility? of openness, of deep listening, because the reality is always there, just outside us. And it also calls for us constantly to be rooted in reality and experience. And that's why synodality begins with listening to experience. It does not begin with an abstract discussion. It doesn't start from an idea of a book, a lecture, a paper. It starts with the lived experience of people, and it is from there that we begin to know what the Spirit is doing. So that was point one, reality is greater than ideas. Here's the second one. Unity is a gift of the Spirit. It is not the result of agreement. Controversial? I know. Let me explore it. We're talking here about a dialogue which enables us to walk together in openness, rather than trying to reach agreement in order to walk together which is so often what people mean by unity. In order to enter into relationship, we have to agree with each other. And I think Francis always says the opposite. No, no, we begin. His whole view of Christian unity, we probably heard him say this. It's his favorite joke. He says, I always say Christian unity, or if there are any kind of religious dialogue, let's put the theologians together on an island somewhere and leave them to discuss while we walk together. And it's a very profound insight. What he's saying is that the walking together is what allows for the unity to be created. Because unity is always a gift from the outside. It's not something that we create through agreement. The Jesuits talk about a union of hearts and minds, we know the animals. It's a great, great Jesuit uh, tradition and expression. Which, Francis says in Letter Stream, allows people to serve as a body, despite differences of viewpoint, physical separation, and human ego. So, in other words, we can continue to be human, continue to have all our differences, but we can still walk together. And that actually is what unity really is. It's the capacity to walk together. So authentic dialogue means being faithful to who we are, to our roots. It's not about denying ourselves, but rather uh, uh, knowing ourselves as rooted. But, let's go back to horticulture for a moment. The healthiest plants have roots that constantly extend outwards. Indeed, the health of the plant depends 
on the increasingly entanglement of its roots with the roots of others, and greater, ever more contact with the soil and the diversity of, of life in the soil. And that's like us too. We are at our healthiest when our roots spread out and enter into contact with other realities. So this is really a kind of reconciled diversity we're talking about that respects plurality. It's not about uniformity. But nor is it about mere coexistence, which is so often what we have, a kind of liberal relativist tolerance that, well, it doesn't really matter because ultimately what's true anyway, right? It's not that. It's something much more fruitful and generative, which is bringing together uh, bringing together disagreement in tension and holding on, if you like, to that tension. Francis talks in Letters Dream about the dynamic of a synod in which differences are expressed and polished until you reach, if not a consensus, a harmony that holds on to the sharp notes of its differences. In the church, the one who brings out that harmony is the Holy Spirit. So he always quotes the great expression of ipse harmonia est. The Holy Spirit is harmony. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But it's important to understand that harmony is not uniformity. Harmony allows people to work together in spite of their differences and to walk together. In Evangelium, he says there is a third way of dealing with conflict. One way is to fuel the conflict through polarization. Another way is to avoid conflict. And we all know people who do that, and indeed, I sometimes actually say when I'm talking about this, which of those two am I? <laughs> am I the type? I know I'm the first, but many of you are probably the second. But there is a third way, and that is the best way, he says, to deal with conflict. Quote, it is the willingness to face conflict head on to resolve it and to make it the link of a chain in a new process. Blessed are the peacemakers. Ultimately, that's what peacemaking is. That's what reconciliation is. It's holding together the two things in tension in such a way that we allow the Holy Spirit then to create the new thing. Which brings me to the third point, which is at the heart of this thinking and this approach, is receptivity to overflow. Overflow is a great Francis word, uh, and there's more than Spanish. Uh, he used it in the Amazon Synod quite a lot. What is, what is overflow? Well, in uh, Evangelii he talks about a resolution which takes place on a higher plane and preserves what is valid and useful on both sides. Now, just to be clear, this is not the kind of synthesis, 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 thesis, synthesis, synthesis. This is not a philosophical concept. He's saying this is actually how the Holy Spirit works in reality. A breakthrough, that's another word for overflow, it's a breakthrough that comes about as a gift in dialogue, often at moments of crisis or vulnerability, in which, I'm quoting letter screen now, the solution to an intractable problem comes in ways that are unexpected and unforeseen, when the ocean of his love bursts the dams of our self-sufficiency and so allows for a new imagination of the possible. That's how it works. We reach these points of crisis, and we've seen this in the sin itself. You know, people just can't see, they just disagree, and, there's just, and then there's this moment, we've seen it in the synods in Rome, where there's been this moment of overflow and breakthrough. There's something we see it in a different way. It wasn't A or B, it was actually C, but we couldn't see C before because we were too trapped in our A-ness and our B-ness. Okay. So um, this is about receptivity which is also uh, a prayerful kind of patience. And I think this is really important, that for this, to, to allow for this, we need patience, we need time. 
uh, and we need a certain preference. It's about faith, holding things in faith. So those are my three kind of key insights of David's thinking. Um, and um, I just want to have a few more thoughts now about synodality. That synodality for Francis is really born, at least the first time I really hear him talking about this, is in a homily he gave in the great Latin American church meeting at Palacida in Brazil in May 2007, when the entire Latin American church got together for the first time in 25 years. He, Bergoglio, was the chief redactor of the document that emerged from that and played a key role in it. But there's a moment in the Palacida where I've spoken to many people who were there. They say there was this homily he gave where at the end of the homily, you could hear a pin drop. There was this complete silence. And then, and this is not, by the way, usual for a bishop at a mass, they clapped. They clapped. And a lot of people have said to me they felt he was anointed. At that moment, they felt there was an anointing going on. Now, interestingly, if you look at the text of this homily, it's almost exactly what he says in March 2013 in the meetings prior to the conclave which elected him. When again, he uses very similar imagery, and various people say, that's it. Okay. Uh, what does he say? Well, without getting to the whole thing, what I just wanted to focus on was really it was a story that the homily, in the homily, he was talking about the way that the Holy Spirit basically leads the church, or should lead the church, out of its own self referentiality, out of what the Jesuits would call desolation into being missionary, that's when you have the whole idea of going out to the peripheries, a church that lives from evangelizing, that is brought out. <coughs> he talks about a holy, uh, a praying, adoring church, rather than a Gnostic church. So a church that is going out in contact with the reality, and uh, led by the Spirit in, in, in human reality, rather than staying in a kind of Gnostic self-referential. But here's what he said, he said, he had this image while he was giving this homily, which is an extraordinary homily because it's all coming straight from his heart. And he says, to be a praying, adoring church in which people and pastors make up this holy, faithful people of God that enjoys the infallibility in believing. Pope, people, and pastors dialoguing as the Spirit inspires them. Collaborating, in other words. So, so here in embryo, we have the synodal vision of the Francis pontificate. And the assumption that Francis makes, uh, and it's one that he's lived long before he was born, is that the Spirit is being poured out on all of us, on all of us, on all of you, on all of the baptized. That's what it says in the emergency. And if that is the case, then we need to get together. We need to get together. And we need to listen to each other. Because only in listening to each other do we find out what the Spirit is saying to us. Because there has to be an assembly. It's what happens in the Acts of the Apostles. So the synodal church is born, is the, the synodality is the gift which Jesus Christ himself gives to the church. Right at the beginning. Jesus, before his ascension, says, I'm going to send you the Spirit, and the Spirit will lead you into the whole truth. Guess what? You don't have to know everything because the Spirit's there to help you. And sure enough, Jesus leaves, and pretty soon there's a crisis in the early church. Right? The whole question of Jewish customs and so on. Big crisis, massive disagreement. 
Acts chapter 15, what happens? All the disciples are called together, all of them, everybody took part in this. I don't know what everybody means by that. I don't know how many of the words are, but that's what it says in the Acts of the Apostles. Everybody was consulted, everybody spoke, and they paid particular attention you know, to the newest, youngest, the ones who are normally marginalized. And in listening to the experience, they worked out what the Spirit was doing, and then they developed the doctrine and the rules of the church in the light of that. That is the gift that Jesus gave to the church in Synodality. It's the gift, I think, that Cardinal Martini, the Archbishop of Milan, was talking about in 1999, and the famous speech he gave at the Synod of Europe, in which he said that the church, in order to tackle the challenges of knotty problems, dis disciplinary and doctrinal, that have developed in the church, not always developed in the church, because history and time is always throwing out the challenges, that he said what's needed was a more universal and authoritative instrument to tackle them in the full exercise of Episcopal collegiality. Okay, a lot of church words. <laughs> and a lot of people said, what does that mean? Are you talking about Vatican III? And in an interview he said no. I was talking about the way the church should be run in a general sense. So when Pope Francis said shortly after his election that he wanted to move into the direction of the synodal church of which Cardinal Martini dreamt, that's what he meant. Okay. Well, now we see what he meant. I'm not sure I really understood it. But now in this synodal synodality, we can see it. Two stages of this the reinvigoration of the Synod of Bishops under Francis to create of the Synod a genuine mechanism of ecclesial discernment which allows the Holy Spirit to open up new horizons pastoral and doctrinal. And now, most probably all, in the Synod on Synodality, which we now have is a three-year process, October 21 to October 2024, that begins with an assembly of the people of God itself no longer the people of God being consulted as objects of consultation, but as subjects and agents of discernment. It is the people themselves whose experience is the subject of discernment. And so now we have the synodal process as no longer an assembly of bishops, but a journey for the whole, all faithful, for the whole church, exactly as was expressed in the Second Vatican Council when we talked about the church as the people of God. So three elements of this, and I know end here, and then we can talk in the Q&A about synod and what's been going on. We'll get into all that, don't But three core elements about this, for there to be authentic synodality in Francis's understanding. Well, the most important thing to understand is that this is all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about how the church can be led by the Holy Spirit. Point element one. There has to be an assembly of the people. You cannot have a synod, which is an online questionnaire. You cannot have a, it's not an opinion poll. It's not a parliament. It's not a debate. There has to be an assembly which allows for as broad a participation as possible. And so synodality is all about listening to the spirit in and through the people, and for that people have to get together and they have to listen carefully to each other. Put on. Secondly, it must involve an attentive listening and a prayerful receptivity that calls necessarily for periods of silence, of prayer, of attentive listening, of disciplines as well about time. 
It's one of the great gifts of the sinner is the discipline of listening to another and not responding. Believe me, very hard for many of us. I just listen. And I, and I hear what's going on in my heart in response to what I'm hearing. I don't say anything. Until round two when I'm allowed to say what's resonated in my heart. But it's not a discussion, it's not a debate. It's a listen. And that's why the spirituality underpinning the sin is probably the most precious and most easily squandered element of solidarity, the element that's most easy for us to overlook. And that's why it's so important that here in the centre we have this solid nation spirituality in which to rest us. And the third one, and this is not so popular with certain people, there has to be a competent authority with which, with both the courage and the capacity to distinguish what is of the spirit and what is merely opinion or desire-based, if you like, and who is capable of responding and acting based on that discernment, even if it flies in the face of majority opinion. Sometimes there is a consensus which is not of the spirit. There is a, sometimes there is a majority opinion, sorry, not a consensus, a majority opinion, but there's a deepening polarization, in which case that is not of the spirit. And you need, if you like, somebody with the capacity, so it is in the synodal process, ultimately the task of the bishop and ultimately the pope, who has to make that discernment. In other words, there has to be a kind of discerner in chief uh, at the end of the process. So that's Francis's vision of synodality. That's, if you like, the heart of it. And I've just come back from Frascati, where I was part of a team in which our job was to collate and take uh, national syntheses of the synod processes of 114 missions conferences from across the world and create a document which is a synthesis of that. And we can get into how that was all done in a minute. That document is out on Thursday. It's called the Document for the Continental Stage. And at the heart of it is an image of, from, taken from Isaiah about enlarging the space of our tent. It's a very powerful image. Isaiah 54, to enlarge the space of your tent, spread out your tent cloths unsparingly, lengthen your ropes and make firm your pegs. And this verse is reflected on in the document, and that image becomes the abiding image of the whole document, and the whole, if you like, the way the Spirit is speaking through this whole process, is a church which is more synodal, which really is listening to the Spirit, which is more capacious, which is more capable of containing differences and making those differences fruitful. Uh, a, a church which is missionary because it's constantly going out to listen to the experience of the of the poor and the marginalized. A church, in other words, that is fed and led by the Spirit, and indeed mulched <laughs> by the Holy Spirit constantly. And that permanent dynamic in the church, which is exactly the dynamic that Jesus entrusted to us and is there in the first centuries of the church, which Pope Francis has reinvigorated and revitalized for our time. And that is the great gift of this pontificate. His lasting legacy will be that a gift of solidarity. And it makes me very happy to be part of helping to explain that to you and to congratulate Belfort Jesuit Centre on adopting this as their way of proceeding. Thank you very much.